thanks for listening to Beyond the Field podcast, powered by Money Empire, property and financial specialists. My name is Kane Wallstrom. And I'm Goran Walker. And today we're going to talk about buying a property with a friend. This is very, very common, uh, and we're seeing a lot more of this. Firstly, Goran, let's talk about the pros. What are the pros uh, of buying a property with a friend? I think first and foremost, the biggest one is obviously joining forces. And you know, getting onto the ladder is a lot easier with um, you know one or two one or two friends coming together. Okay, so what you're saying by that is uh, joining a deposit together. So if you've got fifty grand, but you don't have that hundred, you can join forces if they've got fifty to make up that deposit, make up that twenty percent or ten percent or whatever it may be. Absolutely. And to get onto the ladder faster, um, security, but more around income from a credit point of view. Yeah, um, absolutely. So credit profiling and um, social profiling as well, I'm guessing. Yeah, totally. It okay. makes the application for the home purchase, or sorry, for the mortgage purpose, uh, a lot more stronger. And I suppose too, in the um, buyer's eyes, uh, they have 50% of the mortgage in their eyes. So they're only servicing 50% of the debt in their eyes, and I'll say that in quotation marks. 100%. Okay. Let's talk about the negatives. What are some of the negatives uh, of of buying with a friend, there's there's a, there's a couple that people need to be aware of, and obviously some include um, some could be costly if they're not careful. So the bank itself may consider the whole mortgage as a liability, but only your portion of the house as an asset, uh, which in turn can make further borrowing difficult and obviously pigeonhole a little bit. So to dull that down, what you mean by that is, let's say I'm buying for a million dollars with a friend. We both put in twenty percent, and we put in twenty percent total, so we put in two hundred thousand. So we then have a mortgage of eight hundred k. In my head, fifty percent of that mortgage is mine. So in my head, four hundred thousand is all I have to take care of, and my friend takes care of the other half. But what you're saying is the bank says you are liable as an individual for the full eight hundred, no matter what. Absolutely, and that is obviously due to the fact that if one or the other person can't make the mortgage repayments, the other will be held responsible for the full mortgage. So moving on from that, uh, potential credit scores could be affected because there is linkage there between these two. Uh, and like you said around responsible lending, uh, if your friend can't make those mortgage repayments, you are then liable to do so, otherwise you're starting to get some a bad history against your name with, uh, I suppose, non-repayments, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And I think another thing is that's worth mentioning, if one individual from those two were to buy a property by themselves separately, the, per the property that they bought together with that friend originally will detriment that loan application going forward. So you're saying the bank will look again at the scenario is that that one individual has to service the whole debt plus their new debt on their home. Absolutely. And this is where people get caught out, right? So what are some of the solutions for all this then? I suppose just to safeguard long-term. Um, well, they have to agree on all the details in terms of, you know, and it all it depends on how much deposit each person is, is putting in yeah. and the income that it's used and, and the repayments that are going towards the mortgage. So um, so what you're saying is fairness and structure before you go in and, and dabble in the, uh, in the asset or purchase is saying, okay, cool. Worst case scenario, we know that if my friend can't 
can't um, service the mortgage, I then have to be doing or liable and I have to actually make those repayments. Um, best case scenario, we go through all these years, we make some really good money off it and one person wants to go their own way, we need to know what that exit strategy may be. Absolutely, yes, that's spot on. And obviously, um, once you come to an agreement in terms of all the, all the little details, I would talk to a solicitor first and foremost because mm. people get funny when it comes to property and money mm. and we've seen it before in the past where friendships, families are broken when there is no right sort of agreement in place, especially on paper between yeah. the parties. So the key thing is potentially obviously linked with specialists, so advisors in this space, lawyers, the potential for accountants if need be, build what we call deeds, is that right, then behind the scenes of acknowledgement to understand what the exit process may happen because at some point someone, one person will want to exit and you want a no tears policy so you know from day one what that strategy may be and that's getting the house valued, allowing the other person to potentially buy out first, if that doesn't happen going on to the own market, everyone knows from day one before an agreement is entered what the exit will be. Absolutely, it just makes everything so much more easier on the back end of something was to turn, um, everything has been translucent and, and clear from day one. Fantastic. This way of buying is a great way, but can be very complicated, and it's what we call tenants in common. So again, to all the listeners, thanks for tuning in to be on the field. If you've got any questions uh, on this podcast or any previous, please jump on our social platforms or www.moneyempire.co.nz.